Thank you for joining us for this message from Cornerstone Community Church in Lynchburg, Virginia. And now let's join our guest speaker. Um, Today we are going to um, talk about the life of Moses. And you might have come in here and been like, what does this have to do with Mother's Day? How is this really a Mother's Day message? Well, um, we are actually going to look at the women in Moses' life who were influential in helping him get his destiny. Now, whenever we have these sort of days, uh, you know, special topics, we are taking a departure from discipleship just for now. Uh, But I know sometimes whenever we have these sort of special topics, um, one or two things happen. Number one, the men will check out because they'll be like, it's for y'all. This is not for me. So they'll check out. So men, don't check out. Or number two, it starts to kind of be a us versus them. You know, like you want to exalt the women so much that the men feel like you're putting them down. That's not it. This is not an us versus them. Um, Honestly, everything that we talk about today is something that all of us can glean from. Okay, so don't check out. Um, God is really calling all of us, regardless of our station in life, to have a hand and bringing humanity back to himself. So this is for everybody. Don't check out on us. We can all sort of um, pull from this. But this is the message. Now, I, I, I jokingly, as a joke, as a joke, I was going to title this message, Behind Every Great Man is an Even Greater Woman. It's a joke. It was just going to be a joke. It was just going to be a joke. But I kept hearing this voice in my ear saying, don't get up there and start putting the men down. It sounded like Elder Sam's voice. Um, And it might have been because it was, but I just kept hearing this voice like, don't get up there and start putting the men down. Um, But this is not, this is not a putting somebody down to elevate anyone. This is God using all of us in the way that he wants to bring about his plan his plan for redemption. So there's no division here, um, but we do want to take a look at some really, really important women. So we're going to start in Exodus. We're going to start in the first chapter. And just a little bit of history. We're not going to go through all of this because I know you all know your Bible. You've been to Sunday school at one point in time in your life, hopefully. But you know how Joseph came to be in Egypt. And you know all the providential ways that God just had his hand on Joseph's life. And he ends up in Egypt. And he ends up sparing the Egyptians and his own family. Um, And so they're now in Egypt. And some 350 years later... We see that these 70-ish people that left and were Egypt, part of Joseph's family, that they've now grown tremendously. And so let's pick up here in verse 8. We might do a little bit of reading, but it's the Word of God, so you can't really, you know, go wrong reading that. But let's start in chapter 1, verse 8. It says, Now there arose a new king over Egypt who did not know Joseph. And he said to his people, Behold, the people of Israel are too many and too mighty for us. Come, let us deal shrewdly with them, lest they multiply. And if war breaks out, they join our enemies and fight against us and escape from the land. Therefore, they set taskmasters over them to afflict them with heavy burdens. Verse 12, But the more they were oppressed, the more they multiplied and the more they spread abroad. I think almost that could be like a whole message in itself right there, right? The more they were oppressed, the more they multiplied and grew. It's like growth, 
from oppression and we don't like to think of that sometimes like when we are feeling oppressed that there could be growth but that could be a whole nother sermon but that's not the one for today all right and the egyptians were in dread of the people of israel verse 13 so they ruthlessly made the people of israel work as slaves and made their lives bitter with hard service and mortar and brick and in all kinds of work in the field and all their work they ruthlessly made them work as slaves then the king of Egypt said to the Hebrew midwives, one of whom's name was Shipra and the other Pua, when you serve as midwife to the Hebrew women and see them on the birth stool, if it is a son, you shall kill him. But if it's a daughter, she shall live. But the midwives feared God and did not do as the king of Egypt commanded them, but let the male children live. So the king of Egypt called the midwives and said to them, why have you done this and let the male children live? The midwives said to Pharaoh, because the Hebrew women are not like the Egyptian women, for they are vigorous and give birth before the midwife comes to them. So God dealt well with the midwives, and the people multiplied and grew very strong. And because the midwives fear God, he gave them families. Now, what we want to do is we take a look at all of these women who were influential in shaping Moses' life is we want to pull some characteristics that we can take from them to help us. And so one of the first things that we see here with these Hebrew women is that they feared God. As a mother, sometimes you feel like you got to put the fear of God in your children. But here they had the fear of God. Now, many of us, thankfully, don't have to make a choice between obeying the authorities and obeying Christ. I'm grateful that many of us don't have to make that choice, right? Sometimes I feel like we might be headed that way. But right now, we can freely worship the Lord, and we don't have to kind of make that hard choice. But if you had to, would you stand for what you know is right by God and not what the authorities are saying? And so we see here that, these he, that the Hebrew midwives, number one, they feared God more than they feared man. So let's have the fear of God first. And because of that fear, they were able to walk and act with courage. They were courageous. It takes a pretty courageous person to disobey the authorities of those who are oppressing you. But they had courage. And I love, love, love just a couple of things here. One, this juxtaposition that we see of what Pharaoh was afraid of versus how God is moving because he was afraid that the males would fight in war and that they would rise up against them. And so he's so focused with trying to kill the males that he forgot and counted out the women of God who were going to be used by God to bring about his plan. So I love how God brings this all so together, like you're so focused on destroying the males. But God has said, I've got some women. I've got some women who are going to do my plan. And so I'm grateful, grateful, grateful for that. I also love how God blesses them with the same thing that Pharaoh is trying to destroy. You know the enemy has been after families literally since day one. Day one, literally like with Cain and Abel and, and Adam and Eve, he has been after families because of their fear of God, because of their courage, God blesses them with the same thing that Pharaoh's trying to destroy, families of their own. So grateful, grateful for that. We're going to take this courage. We're going to take this fear of God, and we're going to move on to verse 22. It says, 
Then Pharaoh commanded all his people, every son that is born to the Hebrews, you shall cast into the Nile, but you shall let every daughter live. So when he couldn't get through the Hebrew midwives, he said, I'll go to my people. So I'm going to tell my people now, if you see a Hebrew male born, cast that baby into the Nile, but let the daughters live. Chapter 2. Now a man from the house of Levi went and took as his wife a Levite woman. The woman conceived and bore a son, and when she saw he was a fine child, she hid him three months. When she could hide him no longer, she took for him a basket made of bulrushes and daubed it with bitumen and pitch. She put the child in and placed it among the reeds by the river bank. So already we see before Moses has come that these Hebrew women have played an instrumental part in helping to bring out his destiny. The next one that we see is Moses' mother. Again, acting with courage. Courage to obey this edict that said, let every male child be cast into the Nile. But here is a mom who saw something different about her son. Now, here's the thing. Every mama thinks their baby is just the prettiest. You ask any mom, who's the prettiest? It's mine, of course. And I would expect for you to say the same, right? But there is something about what this verse 2 here. She saw that he was a fine child. Now, I I looked because I really wanted this fine to have like a, a deep meaning. I wanted it to be real deep, spiritual, something that, you know, we just didn't know. Everywhere I looked, it meant just what it said. He was just a good-looking baby. He, just, he was a nice child. Maybe he was a healthy child. Like nothing spiritually deep it said, but I still believe Moses' mother had to see something in him that made her say, I am going to disobey this authority and do what God says for three months and hide this child. Now, moms, you, you only need to kind of think back to what the first three months of your child's life might have been like to know this might not have been an easy feat, right? This would not have been. My two children have two very different temperaments. Even as babies, they had two different temperaments. My son, my firstborn, when he was born, he was one of those crying babies. He cried all the time. He had jaundice. He had colic. He was just fussy. He spit up all the time. Just a different temperament. My daughter comes along. She is the complete opposite. She only cried whenever you had to bathe her. She didn't like taking baths. I don't know. But she that's the only time she cried. Not fussy. Not fussy at all. And I don't know what Moses' temperament was, but I know that this mama probably had to feed him every few hours. I know that this mama first had to probably either maybe conceal her pregnancy or at least conceal the people who were wondering, well, what did you have, Jochebed? That's his mother's name. What, what was it? Was it a boy or was it a, was it a girl? Which one? I know that there had to be some concealing going on. And so she is walking with courage to say, there's something different about my son that's going to cause me to act different. So she's walking in courage, and that courage leads her to walk with faith. Faith in action. And you can see this faith really taking place when you look at how careful she was with this basket. It would have been very easy for her to say at the end of the three months, because the Bible tells us she couldn't hide him any longer. Like, this is it. This just might be it. I can't hide him any longer. She could have just said, well, throw him in the, mile, in the Nile like all the other babies. 
you know, and that's something to kind of think about because we're, we're looking at Moses and we know his story. But you got to also think there were some women who had to have their sons thrown into the Nile. And you don't want to kind of think about that, right? But here is a mom who's saying, there's something about my son. I, I, I can't do this. I can't do and follow what the authorities are saying. And so her faith says, at the end of this three months, if I can't hide him, I'm going to be intentional about how I set this basket up. I'm not just going to throw him in the Nile and pray for the best. I'm not just going to say, God, thank you for three months, but, you know, time is up. Look at the care that she took to waterproof this basket, pitching it with bitumen. And bitumen is, I looked up some mineral that was found in Mesopotamia that they used in brick and they used to make things waterproof. This is a woman whose faith is saying, regardless of what I am seeing, this can't be the end for my son. So her faith says, let me waterproof this. Let me do something. Let me put my faith in action because this isn't the end. This isn't the end. I can't hide him anymore, but this isn't it. So she puts her faith in action. She makes this basket, and then she places the basket in the Nile. Again, the imagery sometimes that I see here, right, because the Nile, bottom of the Nile, there's somebody's son. There's somebody's son at the bottom of the Nile. And so what meant was meant is destruction for other people. For her, it's the beginning of Moses' destiny. She's placing him in a place that for others might have meant destruction, but for her, it's her son's destiny. And so she places him in this basket, and then she's got to do what is tough for any parent to do, and that is to let go. Let go. Listen, I don't care whether you're getting ready to let your baby go to kindergarten. I cried like I had lost my mind when my baby went to kindergarten. I cried. I don't care whether your baby's going to kindergarten. I don't care whether your child's getting ready to graduate from high school and you got to let them go to college. I don't care if you got to let them go eight hours away to fulfill their dream that God wants. I don't care if you're letting your child go ten minutes down the road in their own apartment. Letting go is hard. But Moses' mother, with her faith, realized his calling is bigger than my comfort. What God has for him is bigger than my comfort. So we're going to see what happened. So she put him there and she let him go. All right, let's pick up at verse 4 here. Looking at all these women, we've got the Hebrew women who have shaped and influenced Moses. Now we got his mom. And in verse 4 it says, and his sister stood at a distance to know what would be done with him. This is after Jochebed had put him in the Nile. Now the daughter of Pharaoh came down to bathe at the river while her young women walked beside the river. She saw the basket among the reeds and sent her servant woman, and she took it. When she opened it, she saw the child, and behold, the child was crying. She took pity on him and said, This is one of the Hebrews' children. Then his sister said to Pharaoh's daughter, Shall I go and call you a nurse from the Hebrew women to nurse the child for you? And Pharaoh's daughter said to her, Go. So the girl went and called the child's mother. And Pharaoh's daughter said to her, Take this child away and nurse him for me, and I will give you your wages. So the woman took the child and nursed him. When the child grew older, she brought him to Pharaoh's daughter, and he became her son. She named him Moses because she said, I drew him out of the water. 
So now we see the next two women who are helping to shape and impact Moses' life. First is his sister, his older sister, Miriam. Observant little thing, I believe, right? She knows what mama's got to do, and she's watching all of this unfold. And so she's standing by the bank to see how this is all going to, to play out. But I also think that Miriam was very brave brave courage is a little bit different or bravery is a little bit different from courage right courage is a little bit more contemplative you're a little bit more thinking about how you're going to to make this impact bravery is sort of like on the spot without a thought you just do it and Miriam acted very bravely because you have to remember her station in life Miriam was a slave We all know stories in the Bible. You just don't walk up to the king and his people and his family any old kind of way. But here was a slave girl, a young slave girl who was brave enough to go to Pharaoh's daughter and say, do you want me to go find a Hebrew wife or Hebrew mother for the child to nurse the child? That took a lot of bravery. And sometimes as parents, sometimes as people, we have to make some pretty brave decisions. We've got to do things that might seem like this is not PC, this is not the right way to do it, but we've got to make some pretty brave calls sometimes. And so Miriam, at her young age, makes this decision to speak to Pharaoh's daughter as a slave and say, do you want me to go and fetch a Hebrew mother for you to nurse the child? And so we know Pharaoh's daughter says, Yes, and so thankful, just so thankful for her, her, her quick-wittedness, her bravery, quick-wittedness, because she, she could have just done or said anything. She could have just reported back to her mom. Pharaoh's daughter found her, found Moses. That could have been it. But there's a clever, quick-witted thinking in Miriam that says, do you want me to go fetch a woman for you? Like, I know just the right person. <laughs> Do you want me to go fetch your first and for a fresh one for you? Right? So thank God for giving her just wisdom and some, some cleverness here to even ask that. And can you just imagine her going back to Jochebed and telling her this? I mean, this is like the best Mother's Day gift, right? Well, you say, well, you go back and say, oh, um, Pharaoh's daughter is going to pay you to nurse your son. Happy Mother's Day. It's like a mic drop moment, right? Happy Mother's Day. Like, you feel like, like, that's it. Like, you can't get any better than that. Like, you're welcome. Thank, thank you, Mom. I'm your favorite child from here on out. You're welcome. Just, just go ahead and move on, right? But um, thank God for her cleverness. Thank God for her cleverness and even asking that. And so we see God rewarding Jochebed. You know, you're scared. You're hiding your son. And God favors her and blesses her being able to nurse her son and get paid to do it. I wish somebody would start paying people to breastfeed. Like, you know, more women maybe would do it. I don't know. But you see how God has blessed her because of her obedience in that. But again, again, you see Jochebed having to let go. You let him go once. God brought him back. But now you've got to let him go again. The first time it might have been uncertain because you didn't know what was going to happen, right? This time, is it that much better? I don't know. I mean, maybe you know where he's going. You know that his life is spared. But let's face it, it's not like he's being adopted into a loving family who just wants him. You are sending your son to the very same people that tried to kill him. And so you got to let go. And as parents, sometimes we... uh, (laughs) 
look at this world and I feel like every generation says the world gets darker and darker, but sometimes you got to let go. Like, why did, I don't, I don't want to let go. I don't want to let go. I want you to stay at home forever where you're safe and you can stay. You got to let go again. His destiny, what God has for him is greater than my comfort as his mother. So I got to let go. And so she lets go. And the next woman that we see who is influential in Moses's life is Pharaoh's daughter. Now, I don't know if she knew she was being used by the Lord or not. I don't really know. But she was used by the Lord nonetheless, right? Whether she knew that God is working through me, probably not. But he was. He was. Because she is acting with an even greater level of courage. It's, it's one thing to defy the authority when the authorities are your enemies who have been oppressing you. It's another thing to defy the authorities when the authority is your daddy. That's, that's different, right? That takes another level of bravery, bravery and, and, and really courage to bring back what they were trying to kill, their, the, what they were opposed to. I mean, and I just, I just kind of wonder, like, what, what were the conversations like around that dinner table between Moses and Pharaoh? Like, when you pass each other in the hallway at the palace, how did that go? Like, Moses, Pharaoh. I mean, you know, when you know that someone was just bent on trying to destroy your people, like, how do you, how do you navigate that at holidays? How does that look? I don't know. But um, nonetheless, God is strategic. God is strategic in all things. Um, we're not going to turn there, but in Acts 7, right before Stephen is martyred, he's giving an account of their forefathers. And so he talks about how um, how Moses was brought up and trained and taught in the ways of the Egyptians. You can't tell me that God in his strategic plan, as bad as this may seem, who would have wanted this, did not strategically place Moses where he was, knowing that one day he would be the deliverer. So now you've got an inside scoop to how they operate, how they think, what goes on, how do they, uh, you know, what sort of beliefs do they have. You are now well equipped with all of that because of what might seem like all of this pain. God never wastes anything, never wastes anything. So thank God for Pharaoh's daughter who was brave and thank her for having compassion, really for having compassion, because it says in the scripture here that she took pity on him. She took pity on him and raised him as her son. So God causes all things, even though Romans 8 wasn't even wasn't written then, he causes all things to work for our good. So praise God for that. All right, we're going to look at this last woman here, and we're going to skip over to chapter 4, Exodus chapter 4. And I'm pretty sure there were were other women, but this is the last one we're going to look at for today. And in chapter 4, verse 21, it says, And the Lord said to Moses, When you go back to Egypt, see that you do before Pharaoh all the miracles that I have put in your power. But I will harden his heart so that he will not let the people go. Then you shall say to Pharaoh, Thus says the Lord, Israel is my firstborn son. And I say to you, Let my son go that he may serve me. If you refuse to let him go, behold, I will kill your firstborn. 
at a lodging place on the way, the Lord met him and sought to put him to death. Then Zipporah took a flint and cut off her son's foreskin and touched Moses' feet with it and said, Surely you are a bridegroom of blood to me. So he, talking about the Lord, let him alone. It was then that she said a bridegroom of blood, of blood because of the circumcision. This is a difficult passage to process. I mean, it really is. It's a difficult passage to fully process. We read it. We know what happened. But it's difficult to fully process what's going on here because at this point, right, this is not just, oh, the enemy is busy, y'all. It's the Lord. It it says the Lord in your your Bible, right? The The Lord sought to put him to death. And I just read it and thought, well, God, like, why? Why did it have to come to this? Why here? Why this? And why at this point? Because here's the thing. At this point, we skip, you know, lots of verses and things in chapter 2 and chapter 3 and the first part of chapter 4. But at this point that the Lord is seeking to put Moses to death, the promise has already been given. God has already called Moses. God has already told Moses exactly what he's going to do. And with great detail, I might add, because sometimes I read through that and I'm like, Lord, I wish you would talk to me that same way with detail about what you're going to do, how it's going to do. He's not going to do it the first time, but you're going to have to go back and do it. I wish I had all that aforementioned, but I don't. Um, But this is how he's talking to Moses. So they had this exchange. I mean, great exchange about Moses' purpose and his destiny and how God is going to bring this out. And Moses has already said, but God, you know, I don't really speak well. And and, and God has said, okay, Aaron can go with you. And then Moses has said, well, Lord, who should I tell them sent me? And God has already told them, you tell them that I am has sent you. And we like that verse. That's strong. I am has sent you. Oh, praise God. Okay. But God, what if they still don't believe me? Let's do these miracles. Take this rod, throw it down. See how it becomes a serpent? Now pick it up by the tail. It's a rod again. God has done all these signs. God has done all these wonders. God has spoken to him from the burning bush, the burning bush that's on fire, that does not get consumed. This is the place where he says, Moses, take off your shoes. You're standing on holy ground. God has already called Moses and told him what is to come. And it's after that that the Lord seeks to kill him. And it's like, God, what? why? Why? There's so many times where it seems like what God has said, the promise, is in jeopardy. We've seen it. We've seen it with Abraham. We've seen it with, with Isaac where God made this promise that this is how it's going to come. It's going to come through Isaac. But then God says, I want you to sacrifice Isaac. God, this, the, the promise, the promise is in jeopardy. What you said seems to be in jeopardy. How many of you are parents are still waiting on promises about your children? And it seems like this is, this is in jeopardy because this, this isn't like what you said. Even Christ himself, it might have seemed like this is in jeopardy because here goes another jealous crazed king who's making an edict in you know Herod saying uh kill all the male children it might seem like the promise is in jeopardy but God always always knows and has a plan with Abraham and Isaac it was the ram in the bush 
here, the ram in the bush, her name is Zipporah. Okay, this is the ram in the bush because the Pora has to have some spiritual discernment to know what is needed. In the beginning, we're not told why. We're not told why the Lord wants to, to, to put Moses to death. We don't know. But we kind of get a glimmer of knowing what was going on by looking at Zipporah's actions. Here is a wife who was spiritually able to discern that this didn't call for the priest. This is not a moment where the priest got to come. Don't call for the priest. We don't need to pray. The priest doesn't need to pray. That's not what's going on here. We don't need to call the, the wailing women and have them weep. And do, we don't need that. What's going on right now is calling for something spiritual. And circumcision is a spiritual thing. It's a, it's a natural act, but at that time, it was a spiritual symbol. And so I pray that God would give us eyes to spiritually discern whether we're looking at our kids, whether we're looking at other circumstances in our life. God, give us eyes to spiritually discern what's going on and what is needed in this moment. Because you could look at your kids who are acting up, who are doing whatever, and feel like, oh, you are just really being bad today. Or you might just feel like, oh, you have just really, but you have got to See, oh God, give us eyes to see beyond what we see in the natural to know what's really going on here so that we can act accordingly. Because Zipporah knew this calls for circumcision. This is not calling the priest, let's pray. You know, the, the idea here is that by the Lord seeking to put Moses to death, people think that that, or the scholars seem to think that he was sick, that the Lord afflicted him with some illness. You know, and she could have just said, well, Moses is just laid up sick, y'all. He's taken to the bed. But she knew deeper than that. God give us ears and eyes to discern what is needed. I think about Anna. Anna was able to see beyond the natural. Everyone else might have just seen a baby, but Anna was able to see this is the Messiah. This is the Christ. And she worshiped him. And so Zipporah's actions kind of follow what I see calls for circumcision. And so she does it. And that's mighty courageous. Because if your life and the life of all your people depended on me needing to circumcise anybody. Y- y'all are in trouble. Y'all, you're, you're just, I'm just going to say, you're in trouble. Not me. I wouldn't be in trouble because if I was a poor, I'd be like, you know, I'm just married by birth. I mean, just by marriage. You know, I'm just a Hebrew by marriage. I don't have to do all of this. Um, but she did. <laughs> she did it. Thank Holy Ghost for helping her to get through that um, to circumcise her son. Now, why it came to this, I don't know. I don't know why God just didn't tell him. From the beginning, like you could have been at the burden of vision, but like, oh, and by the way, Moses, don't forget you got to circumcise your son. I don't know. But what I know is that Moses, this, this great lawgiver, the redeemer, he could not have been the lawgiver and then not obey the law. So there are some who will say, you know, well, God maybe already told him. I, I don't know how it works. What I know is that it had not been for the mother of his children discerning what was needed so that the Lord could let him alone and he could fulfill his destiny. No, but God is faithful. He knows. He always, always knows. 
And so I'm just grateful for these women. That is, that's it for today. I do want to kind of just do a special prayer, but, you know, sometimes, and again, in Uplifting Women, we are not at all tearing down men, but I know sometimes as mothers, as women, you might think that your role or what God has called you to do, that it is not significant, that you're not playing a role, but you have got to know that God is using you. God is using you um, for your children, for your family, but for humanity, what you're putting in them. Because even looking at Moses here, it was Moses' son who needed to be circumcised, but it was Moses who the Lord went after. Because you have a responsibility to teach, to train, to make sure that you've done all you can do to try to get your children into a covenant relationship with the Lord. You've got, you've got that responsibility, and it might not seem easy. And there, you, you might have people in society or the world kind of tell you that, you know, it doesn't take all that or tell you that, you know, you're doing too much or that you're not somehow doing what society deems is appropriate. But know that what God is calling you to and what he's having you to do, it has a greater impact than you might ever, ever really know. So God is using you regardless. Just follow him. Just follow, follow after him. Um, before I kind of hand it over, I do just want to do a, just kind of pray over, really just kind of pray over all the women right quick, um, mothers especially, but, but all the women. And I just really felt um, that there's sometimes just an attack on biblical womanhood biblical motherhood and your desire to want to be the mother that Christ is calling you to be um, might conflict with what society thinks is right. And so I really just want to pray for that. I want to pray for even all of the young girls, even if they're back in nursery or children's church, because they're going to grow up one day to be mothers. And I want to pray over them. I want to pray for the women who, um, are married and you are waiting on the promise of God for a child. I want to pray because Mother's Day can bring out so many different emotions for people for so many different reasons. And so I want to pray for that. I want to pray for people who are not married, women who are not married, and you may be feeling like, I want to pray. I want to pray that you not give up hope and what God will have for you. Pray for the little girls who are still playing dress up with their dolls and pretending to be mommies, that they will seek after God on how to be godly women and godly mothers because your, your role that you play is absolutely important. So God, I thank you right now for every woman here today and every woman attached to Cornerstone Community Church. God, I thank you that their life is in your hands. God, I thank you right now for every woman who desires to be a mother. God, I pray right now that their womb will be opened, God, and that you will give them the desires of their heart. Lord, silence the enemy when he comes to bring frustration or doubt. God, I pray for those who may be feeling sad because their mom is no longer here. 
I lift up those whose moms maybe are here, but they are estranged from their mothers or their children, God. You comfort the brokenhearted, Lord. You are near to the brokenhearted, Lord. God, I pray for every single woman who is awaiting their Boaz, God, and awaiting the children that are to come. Keep them, God. Let their faith remain strong. Lord, for every little girl, keep their innocence, God. Keep their innocence and keep their heart and mind on you. Let them grow up knowing that you, God, are the sustainer and their identities are found in you and you alone. We thank you, God, for everything that you will do and how you will bless. We believe you. We believe you in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for listening to this message from Cornerstone Community Church. We are located in Lynchburg, Virginia at 525 Old Graves Mill Road. You can find us online at cornerstonelynchburg.com, contact us by email, cornerstonecom at comcast.net, or call us at 434-847-4796. We pray the Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face shine on you and be gracious to you. The Lord lift up his countenance on you and give you peace.